adding AUFS, which is going to add latency into your kernel, and then using a preemptive kernel is, is going to those those two contrast, and you're going to run into major instabilities depending on what you're doing at the desktop with UFS with AUFS. And I I kind of brought this up, and his response is, "Well, you just don't understand what I'm trying to do." And I, I was like, "You're right. I don't know what you're trying to do." because clearly you don't want to save any files. Okay, Jeff, uh, got an interesting topic for us this week. Um, this is one I think we've actually talked about before on and off at like self and online and in your truck driving places. Uh, but that is, what is the dev user relationship? Or to oh. put it kind of more succinctly, what should that relationship be like? Because obviously there is interaction between those two. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna recount some of my experiences, both from the developer side and from the user side, and to kind of lay the groundwork. And then I wanna get your thoughts on how should this relationship work out? How how should those two groups interact with each other? Uh, so, mm -hmm. without further ado, when I was a Puppy Linux developer, I dealt with some absolute train wreck situations. <laughs> uh, like, you, one, I'm not going to name anybody, so names will be changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Can we assign a new name? Emmett. No, I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to sign any name. This person's name is Emmett. No, because there's probably a nice guy out there named Emmett, and okay. I don't want to. Okay, I don't want him right, to catch black right. for it. I'm sorry, Emmett. I didn't mean to slander yeah. your name, but I was just trying to assign a label. For at least in this one case, a anybody who was around at that time and was a developer is going to know who I'm talking about. So okay, yeah. There's, there's no hiding it there. So no. So anyway, uh, he was a very demanding user, we could say. And high maintenance users, I don't really mind. Demanding users kind of tweak my nerves, especially when you have a demanding user who can't read. And not like he is unable to read or unable to read. Uh, he just doesn't. Like, for instance, one time he was going off about how the AMD drivers were all broken and we broke it and we're horrible people and we don't know what we're doing because he actually installed the wrong driver and the driver that he installed didn't have support for the car that he had. <laughs> so for like two pages in this thread, he is going off wow. on this over and over and over. And we're like, dude, wow. we, we don't understand what the problem is. And finally, he actually like showed us a screenshot. And it's like, ah, dude, uh, you have this card and you installed this driver. And if you go to the documentation on the website where you got the driver, you can see that, yeah, the reason that card doesn't work with that driver <laughs> is because it's not supported. You need the other driver. Uh, how polite were you when you when you were pointing this out? Because I would have been very aggressive, oh, so, like, dude. So at that point, no, no, no. At that point, I don't think I was very aggressive because it was like, this is a neon billboard that says you're an idiot. So I don't need to actually say it. Mm -hmm. You've got two pages of evidence here <laughs> that leads to this glowing neon billboard. <laughs> so I don't really need to do anything. You've done it yourself. We didn't even need to pay you out some rope to hang yourself. You did it. With your own rope. Right. Way to go. And I, I didn't feel mercy because this guy was incredibly annoying. Like, I cannot stress how annoying this guy was. And, like, there's just, there's annoying, and then there's, seriously, 
Yeah. Find another hobby. Annoying with the capital A and then two apostrophe or not apostrophes. Mm-hmm. Exclamation point. Like there was there was a conversation that was a community wide conversation in the forums. And at one point he made the statement that without users, developers are nothing. What? Yeah. Like the, first what? off, Defend what kind of entitlement that. is that to basically say I my purpose of developing the software is nothing if you're not using it. No, I'm doing this because I like doing this, and this is a fun hobby, and I enjoy it, and I'm scratching the the itch that I have. And a lot of small projects are that way. They're people doing things they want to do. Mm, Yes, very much so. And, like, if people else find it useful, awesome. And if other people can give feedback or input that's helpful, great. But to just come off and be like, no, 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 no. You're here to make stuff for me, and without me, you're nothing. Like, no, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's abusive. But that's like what this guy's perspective was. And over time, we kind of we kind of figured some things out. Turned out he was actually selling it to other people, but he couldn't oh. provide tech support. Oh. So when something went wrong or broke or didn't behave the way it was supposed to, he was up a creek because he couldn't do anything about it. So he came burning into the forums, ready to flame whoever he felt was responsible for not making it work so then he could get free tech support so then he could go fix the problem that the other person had so he could keep that gravy train running how did you guys discover this uh through a bunch of different comments and you know there is this thing called google and right. when you use okay certain okay names on multiple sites all like, right yes you can find people it's it's a thing it's a um, thing okay yeah. all those advertisers so will find someone find someone immediately it's really addicting not that Yeah, yeah. but yeah, so like, I I don't want to just harp on him, but like, he's an example of what I think is the worst case of an entitled user who thinks that they can demand the developers do whatever they want. Another one of the situations that I had was someone who doesn't quite understand the technology and isn't willing to take any input on why their brilliant idea that they just had isn't actually a brilliant idea in this case. It was someone who wanted to run a real-time kernel Mm. along with running AUFS as a file system. Now, that's you can do it. I don't really know why you would. I'm I'm sitting there trying to think of what is the unique combination that you would want that. And nothing is coming to mind. Right. So first off, we need to address what is a real-time kernel and a low-latency kernel. So let's, let's stop there. Mm-hmm. Because there might be some people listening that don't really know the difference. They've heard the terms. So the best way that I've dis- heard this described is that there's there's three aspects here, like a triangle. So let's let's start with one one corner. And that's you're on a hunting trip. You've camped out. You know, you're out there hunting. I don't know, bears or whatever. Um, the bear is coming towards you and you need to kill it before it kills you. So when the bear is in the crosshairs, you pull the trigger and the rifle shoots. That computation is simple. Pray in crosshairs, pull the trigger, hit. Pray not in crosshairs, don't pull the trigger. And, you know, or miss if the prey is not. You desperately need low latency. Mm-hmm. You, you then have time where you can recover, you can reload your rifle, you can repeat, etc. But the point is, you need things to be very specifically timed. When you have the bear in your crosshairs, you pull the trigger and it fires immediately. Mm-hmm. Low latency. For contrast, Let's say that 
you also had a GoPro mounted on your head or your gun or whatever, and you took a video, um, and you're going to render it. Well, the video is, is long. It's like an hour's long. So it's going to take hours to render. And you don't care when any individual frame happens to get processed or if some frames take longer than other frames. You just want the whole thing to finish as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. You want better throughput, bandwidth, less hours, nothing else matters. On the third point of our triangle here, uh, you have, say you're getting a Morse code signal over ham radio because you're out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. So you got dots and dashes and that's it. Now, Morse is easy to decipher and you don't need to know exactly when the beginning of each pulse started and ended, but you need a guarantee that you're not going to miss any of them. Mm. Um, there's can be a little variance in there, but you cannot miss any. There has to be a regular meter. You need real time. It can be slow because, you know, after all, telegram telegraphs aren't fast, right. but it must be consistent. So you have these three different aspects. You have, you know, like I said, equilateral triangle um, with each characteristic at one of the points. So as you move closer to any one of the points, you're moving further away from the others. You can't have all three at the same time. So normally, and I put that in big air quotes, we kind of camp out near the middle area and slightly shift one way or the other. Now, there are things where you specifically benefit from one over the other, like, for instance, an audio application. Mm -hmm. It's beneficial to have a low latency kernel. But, you know, generally, again, we're kind of in the center. Now, stepping back to the real-time kernel and AUFS, he wanted a real-time kernel. Uh, which is absolute consistency of tasks getting completed by the kernel. And if that means that other tasks have to get pushed back to the next cycle, that's fine, because consistency is all that matters, not getting jobs done. Well, AUFS, by its design, adds latency into a file system. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked for AUFS for about a decade. I love what it can do but it does result in slower user land at time as the kernel has to do far more file system API stuff. Yes, it does. So adding AUFS, which is going to add latency into your kernel, and then using a preemptive kernel is going to, those, those two contrasts, and you're going to run into major instabilities depending on what you're doing at the desktop with, UFS, with AUFS. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of brought this up, and his response is, well, you just don't understand what I'm trying to do. And I was like, you're right. Yeah, exactly. I don't you're know right. what you're trying to do because clearly you don't want to save any files. So so those are the two big examples that I have. On the more modern side of things, I have when I've worked with Kenmore on Lumina. And we get recommendations of people who really like certain things. Uh, for instance, there was an individual who used to be an old Mac fan. And he absolutely loves Miller columns in his file manager. Miller columns to him are the greatest thing. Ken and I, neither one of us like Miller col Miller's columns. So we're not going to take the time to implement something that we both dislike. Now, what we said was, hey, if you send us the PR for an option to add this feature, we'll happily take it. Like if anybody out there wants to add in that feature, awesome, bring it on. But we're not going to spend our time to do that because, again, we're just doing this because we enjoy it and we like it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Another request that we get all the time is to turn Lumina into a tiling manager. Oh, window Jesus. Manager. No, really? It's like, look, there's oh. enough tiling window managers out there. Yes, there I'm are. I'm sure one of them that's made is perfect for what you want. Go use that. Like, I'm not upset about that. Use what works best for you. And if that's awesome, go use off. That's I3. Go use I3. Just do what makes you happy. Don't 
come to a different desktop, which uses the classic, you know, stacked window concept and go, oh, no, 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 you need to throw that out and do tiling. So I have um, an like, odd analogy have... here for that. Living okay, in Texas, we've had a lot of transplants in the last five to 10 years. Uh, we've had a lot from mm -hmm. Illinois, a lot from California. And almost universally what happens is the Californians are the less, to a less degree, Illinois, Illinoisans, however you say that. Let's just focus on the Californians. We'll come here and try to import California into Texas. And it doesn't really work very well, but they're insistent that, no, it, you know, they're, they're fleeing from a bad financial situation or, you know, fires or any number of things from, I, I don't want to say, okay, I'll go ahead and say poor management at the state level in, in many facets. Okay. They flee the state, they come here, and then they want to bring all of the policies from the poorly managed state and implant them here. Like, no, no, you came here, you're using, you know, you're in this state, you're using this desktop manager for a reason. Embrace what you came to. Don't try and bring all this other crap in. And that happens yeah. quite a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and like, Ken and I do have plans to add in tiling features. Like, we want to do, you know, keyboard shortcuts so like we can snap, snap windows to corners and stuff like that. But oh, that's, that's really we're useful, not going to yeah. throw out all of the stacking so we can be a tiling. Like, no, we're not going to no, do that. No, um, no. I'm sorry, but that's that's or, pretty foundational when you're talking about a window manager. You could you could troll people um, and say, oh, we'll make it tiling, but only if the windows stack one on top of the other. So they're technically tiles, but you can't really right, use them. Yeah. That's tiling. Yeah. You asked for tiling. Here you go. Why can't you use this? Where's your PR? Fix it. Right. In, uh, in a couple of the uh, Telegram channels that I'm in, I have witnessed other developers uh, dealing with the same thing. One of them was, and again, not going to mention his name, he was asking for assistance on building a FreeNAS system, and he wanted to know what kind of hardware. So some developers gave him feedback, like, okay, here's, here's a good setup. You can use this hardware, you can use this hardware. And his response is, well, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, well, hold on, dude. Like, you asked them for advice. So why are you telling them they're wrong? If you yeah. know what's the best hardware, why are you asking people? And Maybe why are you telling people to, who... Yeah, open the conversation to why he would be, he would be superior or something. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I can't know. figure it out. And, like, we've seen the same thing with this guy over software. Like, he'll go off on something about, about Ubuntu, and it's like, dude, that, there's not a problem with Ubuntu in, in what you're trying to do. Ubuntu works fine. If it's not working... There's one consistent thing in your tests that I'm not going to mention right now for why they always fail. And it's not Ubuntu because anybody else can do the same thing you're trying to do in Ubuntu and it works. So you mean the commonality amongst all the failures is him? Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that. Or, or her. But I'm, nodding my, but I'm nodding my head yes. Now, I am more than willing to hashtag blame Popey anytime there's anything about Ubuntu that I don't like. And anybody from the old JB days, they will get that reference. That's a throwback. Uh, but, th but the point is, you know, there's a proper way to interact with the people that develop on a project. Absolutely. Yeah. To be clear, I have been on the other side of this equation many, many times. Mm -hmm. There are there are projects that I have used before that I absolutely just uh, I hate the way that it works, like Firefox. I want to like Firefox, but I cannot because of the daft things that it does all the time. And some of them I've seen like people file tickets me. for. And the, the response is just like, uh, not an issue. It's like, well, it is an issue. It happens. Like, this is a problem and it happens. They're like, no, 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 that's not an issue. Okay, well, none of us have any power to fix it because they've accepted that this isn't even an issue. So if you send in a PR to fix the issue, well, they're not going to pull it because they don't acknowledge that the issue is real. 
They might even say, um, hey, what issues is this attached to? You don't have an issue. Go make an issue for this. Right. I've seen that happen before. Very passive-aggressive way to, to reject your PR. Right. Now, GNOME. Okay. GNOME had, when GNOME 3 came out, GNOME 3 was very counterintuitive and breaking the mold of how your yeah, interface worked. And it kind of was. The, the, the feedback was people either loved it or they did not love it. And one of the things that they did was they took away the minimize and maximize buttons. I hated that. Oh, their, Jesus. Their mindset was you don't, you don't need them. Just go to fulfill your screen, use the application. When you want to switch an application, switch your application. And now, thankfully, they got enough pushback that they later added the ability to add that back in with a tweak tool. But you had to go get the tweak tool and install it and then enable that feature to get the buttons back. Lame. But I am very appreciative that they took the feedback that people said, hey, we don't care if you think they're pointless. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have used GNOME and like GNOME that are used to that capability of those two little buttons, and they would like to be able to do those two little buttons. So what you're saying is there's at least 6,000 users of GNOME. Yeah, there's at least 6,000. Actually, I don't know what GNOME's user base is. I assume that it is massive. Mm -hmm. I would I would even argue it's probably the greatest because it's the default on Realm. Yeah. It's the default in Fedora. And it's assumed and now, now it's the base D for Ubuntu, things. right? Uh I believe so. Yeah, like, I believe so. KDE or SUSE does ship KDE, but I don't think SUSE's base is anywhere near what Red Hat and Fedora's is. Well, Maybe not here in the States, but what about over in Europe? Uh, yeah, but I mean, all of Europe is still less populous than the U.S., I believe. So, I mean, if yes, we just take true. those two regions, you know, forget the rest of the world. I mean, don't forget the rest of the world. I'm just How saying, in this example, using, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a misspeak. How's your foot um, taste in there, this buddy? example, uh, those two groups are about equal. And then who knows, who knows what China does yeah, with yeah. their Red Star or whatever they have. But I anyway, kind of wanted to try that, but I was afraid to download it because I don't want to end up on a watch list somewhere. I'm already on too many of those. Yeah, I, I don't want. I have a one. copy of it somewhere. Oh, good. You've already done the Light Gorg. Yeah, but Gnome Gnome has Gnome has tons of users. And again, in their defense, they listened to the feedback and begrudgingly gave a lot of users what they wanted. So I give them kudos for that. I still don't like the way that they do a lot of things. Right. But you know, it's their project. It doesn't really matter what I particularly want because they're the ones developing it. And another example is Run It. I just, I don't like Run It. I, I don't like that Void chose it. If you're going to go other than SystemD and other than classic SysV in it, I think OpenRC is great. Uh, I like OpenRC. I've used it for a long time. I don't want to just, I mean, I know people say, oh, Run It's easy. It's like, yeah, but I don't want to learn another init system. Like, I'm, I'm tired of jumping between init systems. I want to just settle down and just, have one be muscle memory for the next 10 years till eventually it gets replaced and I have to relearn. I don't want to relearn five right now to then relearn five more later. Okay, I guess that's fair. And like I've talked with some people about Run It that not that are the developers, but um, that are heavy users. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to do this one specific thing and I can't figure out what it's doing and how it's calling what and what do I do? And they're like, yeah, we don't know. Okay, great. And because it's a small enough project, it is kind of hard to actually get the attention of, I think it's one guy now that's doing it, or maybe maybe two or three. I don't... Having been on both sides, and having seen bad situations from both sides, yeah, 
Mm -hmm. I've often wondered how should this relationship work out? How should these two groups interact with each other? What is the ideal situation? Now, granted, the ideal, quote, air quote, massive air quotes, is that there doesn't need to be any interaction between the developers and the users because the developers have written perfect software that works in every situation and has no issues. And the users don't ever have any want for anything of the software other than exactly what it does, which it does perfectly. However, that's not the world we live in. That's a very ivory, so, ivory tower point of view, I guess. Yeah, so clearly these two groups are going to interact and are going to deal with each other. So what are your thoughts? Like, how should they interact? How do those, th those two groups mesh together? And how should they behave? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so I want to make a delineation between, I guess, large and small projects. Um, okay. Well, okay, maybe it's more fair to say, let me say this, small open source project, there's very little between the developer and the user. There's like deliberate pressing up against each other and discussion and even collaboration sometimes. But in a larger project, there's probably going to be someone that's guiding the architecture and, and the roadmap, and maybe the users are contributing to it, but it's, it's more abstract, so the developers are somewhat insulated from the user, and I think that that's preferable in a larger project. Still, I honestly believe a developer does need to deliberately rub elbows with their users, lest they start coding something off in the weeds that no one actually cares about. You know, it's good to check in on that. But I think a developer who's spending a lot of his or her time worrying about what users are needing right this moment probably not able to focus as much on delivering the things that have already been decided upon. Like as when I do development and maybe this is just me, I need to go in heads down mode to really get something good done. Uh, if I'm being interrupted, if I'm being um, asked questions even, and it's just whatever's in my head just goes pop. So in my preferred world, I'm working very insulated from a user. Someone else is um, soliciting the tickets or, or, reading through and kind of figuring out and filtering for me what's important. Unfortunately, I don't get that experience because uh, up at work, mostly what I'm doing is automation and the people that are running my automation are right next to me. And so when something breaks, they're like, hey, Jeff, guess what? This broke again, which happens, mm -hmm. unfortunately, quite a lot. Uh, you know, and you inherit things. There's only so much you can do, I guess. Um, all, all of that is to say, in larger projects where you have more developers and more distance between the user, I think it is preferable for there to be um, a barrier between them for uh, development's sake. But certainly in a smaller project, it would be preferable because you are you make a change, someone benefits immediately right there. And mm -hmm. I think a, a lot of open source software falls into this, I would say. The ones that have been you know developed for a long time, you know, the big the big distributions or the big softwares, yeah, maybe they need to behave according more to the distance model. But uh, most open source projects, I think, would need to be, it's a collaborative effort. You know, I, I have a vision or as a developer, I'm planning to do something because I'll also say this very often is it that the developer is also a user. I think it's uncommon mm -hmm. in the open source world for a developer to not be a user of the thing there he or she is developing. I mean, I'm sure it can happen. And sometimes it's a little abstract. If you're, um, if you're doing boot kernel stuff, technically you're on the receiving end of your efforts, but it's like so distant, you may not really feel the impact of it i don't know right i think this also is very much dependent on whether or not it's open or closed source software yes true yes mm -hmm. uh for example the raw editor that i use for photography capture one it is closed source unfortunately 
uh, but it is fantastic software, which is why I use it. And there's been a few times where I've submitted bug reports and tickets and suggestions. And one in particular, it, it's it's always kind of annoyed me because I understand how insignificant an effort it would be to implement it because yeah. the function already exists. It's just duplicating the class to another one and then changing one of the numeric values. That That's it. With Well, to be more specific, uh, there is a function that you can rotate an image. And by default, the increment is one degree. Well, rotating an image by one degree, it doesn't seem like much, but it actually is kind of substantial. Oh, really? Um, is it? I was like, yeah. oh, one degree. How, if you have to do it one at a time, that's kind of a lot of rotation to get it to actually move. Well, because if you think about it, if if a picture is perfectly vertical, like you're taking a picture of a building, okay, that's 45. I mean, you're, you're going, you know, 45 degrees either direction. Okay. Yeah. So you're, the actual one degree is actually a significant amount of the building, you know, tipping if you're going in either direction. Uh, yes, yes yeah. if you go 360, it does seem a little excessive. But if you're just trying to straighten a building and, you know, you only need to shift it just a little, that one degree is actually quite a, a lot. Actually, I can visualize that. I've had a problem with that before. Like, it's closer, but it's still like a little bit, it went a little bit too far and I can't fix it. So fine, I'll just kind of crop it a little bit and I'll lose a little bit of image. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, okay, I've been there. So with Capture One, you can assign keyboard shortcuts to practically everything in the program, which I love. Yep. And like what I said was, is because I use a, a MIDI control deck for a lot of tasks because it has little, you know, control knobs that I can shift back and I can turn back and forth. For instance, like exposure, instead of hitting, you know, the up key or the down key to change the exposure, I have a little knob I can just turn quickly and it goes up or goes down. So I wanted to do this for rotation. But of course, again, one degree at a time is way too large. Mm -hmm. So everything is there. All the pieces are there. All I wanted to do is to make an additional option to increment by 0.1 degrees. <laughs> like, take this, duplicate it, at a decimal point, ta-da! Like, that's all. Y you're done. Mm -hmm. And I have asked now for three versions, and it hasn't made it in. And, like, the support guy that I've talked to has been like, oh, yeah, that could be really helpful. I'll pass <laughs> that along to the dev team. Every this single time. Along before, buddy. Thank and it's you. like, it's still not passed along. And the last time I sent it in, I'm like, look, guys, like, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to keep sending this request in because... This is so easy to do. I could do this for you mm -hmm. if I could see your code, but I can't, so I can't do this for you. Well, but okay. this is that simple. Yeah. So well, I will say there there could be complication if it's truly open source, I'm sorry, object-oriented the way you're threatening it is, and it almost certainly is because a lot of modern software is written that way. Yes, you could duplicate the class, but then all the functions of that class, if you make a change in one place, then you got to make a change in the other place. So that kind of violates the don't repeat yourself. If the, really what you would do there is you would make them both um, subclasses of a larger class, which has all the shared content. And again, still mostly a trivial change, but now you're introducing technically two classes, and now you change the hierarchy, and a trivial change can snowball into something larger. None of this excuses that they haven't addressed it, and it does seem to me like, first of all, super useful. Second of all, I will go ahead and call it a trivial change. Even if you, if you just want to cheat and copy it, okay, fine. Then figure out how to refactor it later to make it better. But if you're more of a purist, you want to try and do it right the first way, the first time, then you may be like, oh, I'll get to that some point. But that means I have to invent too many classes or not invent. You get what I'm saying. Reclass, subclass. Well, no, because you can have the input. 
you can have the input be whatever mm -hmm. as a numerical value and if not defined then be one yeah so okay. then if you do define it then it is right. it is point one or whatever so like there you go problem yeah, solved right, you don't right. even need to make a new class you just need to add like two or three lines mm -hmm. and and you know and 90 lines of tests but uh, you know that's how it goes right you, you make a one line yeah. change and you end up spending you know two hours writing the test to prove that the one line change was good i don't i don't care for that that happens more than <laughs> i like to admit yeah test driven uh, development but again, man it's great until you actually start getting into the really the vagarities of it Anyway, and again, that's that's, that's, a, that's a closed episode. source model. That's mm -hmm. that's completely different because obviously there's nothing I as a user can do. I am a hundred percent at the you know uh, what's the word I'm looking mercy? for? Mercy. Yes, I am a hundred percent at the mercy of the developers to implement this. Yeah. If it was open source, even if they didn't want to, I could just fork it, make the change in my local repo, and I'd be happy. But that's closed source model for you. So. With the open source model, you know, you, you, we have as users a lot more afforded to us for ability to be involved in the project. Yes. In helping steer the project. But again, it, it varies greatly. Now with big projects, like you were alluding to before, a lot of them will have, well, the big, big projects have like a community front manager. Or right. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a person who interfaces with and that's everyone and designated then takes role. That, exactly. Yeah. And that, and I that think is that, an that's absolutely a critical role. Yes, it is. Anybody who yeah, thinks that role is not meaningful, you need to send us an email so I can refute it because that's one of the most important roles in a larger open source project right there. Mm -hmm. If that role isn't done yeah. well, the open source project can wither and die very, very rapidly. It's, it's very mm -hmm. necessary. I think that's one of those, those keys that I look for is that has an open source project arrived? Is it big enough to need its own community uh, interface there's a couple different terms for it but if it, if it needs someone to i don't say work in that dedicated role but has like if you have a thing go talk to this person he's the designated community outreach person that's when i know okay this these guys are serious it's not just someone playing around and wanted to release the code this is like this is a serious project well that's i agree with you but that could also be taken as in a very negative light of Okay. saying to mean any project that doesn't have one is You're a serious right. project. Okay, so now like, it's my turn. There are turn plenty of serious projects, but yeah, you know. Okay. Um, so what, I mean, is it, do you think there's anything that can be done for smaller projects that don't have the ability to have someone specifically to do that? Yes, absolutely. I think you can adopt a model from uh, another, not genre, another field entirely. You could have a shared community outreach amongst four or five they don't even have to be related it's like um a co-working facility you know you have a bunch of unrelated entities that are all renting desks in one facility and they have you know mail drop and they have a, a shared break room why couldn't you do that with the project if you, the, the the difference between a project that has it and the project that doesn't i will also say this in a lot of projects there's kind of a, a maybe a self-assigned uh, community person or someone who takes it the the role of going in and reviewing the tickets and kind of notifying someone else that's working on the project. Hey, this one's kind of more in your wheelhouse or, or whatever. Almost always there's someone on a healthy project that's doing it. But I don't see any reason why you couldn't have someone, maybe it's not common now, but if you, if you don't code, but you want to help out an open source, volunteer to be the community um, manager. I keep, I keep messing around with this. I need a, a label for this. What are we calling this? I, I I don't know. Community I interface? Really don't know. I don't know. 
sure. The, the okay, here's here then all good things have bad sides of to course, it. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. have seen this bad side where you have someone who self-appoints themselves as the community liaison. Oh yes. Uh, liaison. And the developers That's are like, a good word for it. I was looking for that yeah, earlier. There Thank you. And the developers are like, uh, who are you and what are you doing and why? Yes. Like, I don't remember asking you to speak with all of these people filing tickets. I don't remember asking you to then tell me what other users are saying. Like, that's kind of just Awkward. throwing yourself in there and being like, I am an important person and I'm now a part of your project. If you want to do that, you're going to take my yeah. feedback. Make some commits if you want to do that. I've run into people like that and they're, I, I'm going to say it. They're worse than the annoying users who are just upfront and direct and mean. Okay. All right. Uh, because, the, you know, they've self-appointed themselves. It is an important role. And if... It, it is an important role. And then because of that, they kind of are trying to make themselves the image of the project. They're the public face for the project. And it's like, hold on. Yeah. No. The people who have built the project are the public face. If I mean, if they want to transfer that torch to you and say, yeah, you can be the, the front man and you can interact with people, then great, have at it. But for you just to strep onto the scene and be like, nah, this is, I'm I'm the outreach now without talking to the people who actually run the project, like that's... That's sketchy at least, and, and, and really yeah. unwise. There's a lot of words we can use there. So this brings to mind, when I do develop, almost all of my development these days is automation. Um, and like I was alluding to earlier, my users are right next door to me. But... Um, it really feels to me like I want to spend most of my time coding. I don't want to spend my time looking at tickets. I don't want to spend my time. It's a necessary evil. Please put a ticket because I'm not going to remember that you asked me to do this. And asking me on Slack is not adequate for me to remember. A ticket is, you know, measurable. And I can go back and say, mm -hmm. oh, I did not get to that ticket. Whoops. And it's easy to see why I didn't get to it. But just there's this marker. I have a ticket. But I don't want to be checking tickets all the time. I have in my mind roughly what needs to happen and I'm working tickets in, in the gaps. And that's maybe just how I work. I'm not really user focused on my work. I, I'm more mm -hmm. architecture and this is what the machines need. This is what the code has to do. Right. Which isn't to say I'm ignoring the user's needs. I'm like very careful to try and put in you know, pre-checks and, and think ahead to what a user might input fields that are common problems and all those things. And I refuse to re release a script that hasn't at least been hardened a little bit in that respect. So I am mm -hmm. user aware. I just don't really want to be user driven, I guess is a good way to put it. And I, I would yeah. have to guess there's a lot of developers out there that are like that. Code is the fun part. And they feel an obligation to release code into the world because we're sharing efforts, but going the next step and receiving a user's request for something and doing it, not everybody likes that. So there are some people that really do like that, and they can be those community liaisons. But not, again, like you said, not without uh, arranging ahead of time. Like, hey, I would like to do this for your right. project. Would you be willing to? If I'm on a project and someone does it, I'm like, okay, show me what you've done. I don't really just want to invite random Joe Blow in the middle of things and start directing traffic for us. You know? Show me what else you got. What, what skins do you have on the wall? And if that person mm -hmm. has development experience or has commit experience and something I could review, then I'll feel a little more comfortable about it. That's not to say that someone who has no commit experience at all or commits they're willing to share wouldn't make a good community liaison. I would just like that person to be in the community and maybe um, 
moderator would be a better way to say it. So usually in, a, in an established community, there are people that rise to the top to become moderators. I don't know how that process works. It's different in every community too. I would mm -hmm. expect that the community liaison to go through a rise to a moderator kind of process. And that would make me feel a lot yeah. more comfortable as a developer on the project. If I don't see that or I don't have that, I'm like, dude, no, I don't know who you are. Uh, don't, not interested. You know, you can send me an email all day, but I'm just going to kind of blacklist that email address because I don't know who you are or something. Yeah. So we actually have somebody like that for Trident. Oh, Rod right. has. Yeah. So Rod has been around for a long time. Um, PCBSD days. Oh, and yeah, he's, been a, he's a great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Always helpful. He loves testing things. Um, when like we put out releases and he'll give feedback and just over the years, he's just, he's the guy who's there, who's always willing to help test. And he's always, you know, in the IRC or whatever, if somebody has a problem and then he's dealt with it before, he'll throw him, you know, he'll throw him what information helped him. Or if, you know, somebody comes in with an issue that has been happened before and it's been reported and there's work on it or whatever. And that person just doesn't happen to know he'll relay that information, but like he just started doing it because he liked the project and he liked the people on it. And then over time, like that's kind of just become his thing. Like that's what he does now. Mm -hmm. When people enter the telegram channels now, he's usually the first one to like greet them and be like, Hey, if you have any questions, ask, uh, here's some links that are important. Um, you know, so like that is a perfect example of someone who's been around, who's done little things to help. And now is a, a part of the, the, the core team, so to speak. Exactly. Um, he's, he's not a developer. But he fills an extraordinarily important role, and we love that he's around to do that. I kind of believe that the best community liaisons are not developers. Kind of like the, I don't want to say the best, but good product owners don't have to be highly technical. You know, they're the ones mm -hmm. that I know, I'm the user advocate here. I'm, I'm saying the product must do this because I'm the user and it must do this. Whether or not that's realistic or doable or completely pie in the sky invisible, that's up for a developer to say or do. I kind of like them to have less, less experience. Yeah, I think it's beneficial if that person has some experience and understanding because they can then kind of get the request in and kind of do yeah. a, okay, how much effort would this take? Oh, this is a simple request. Okay, I know what the other guys are working on right now. This might be able to get in quick. Or, oh, this is actually, it looks simple, but it's a massive undertaking. So this is something that's going to need to get scheduled if the developers decide they want to do it. So it, it can kind of help um, mediate some of the conflict of, well, should this be done? When should this be done? How should this be done? Where should it fit in the other things that are being done? But you don't need a ton of developer experience to be able to know that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I think if somebody had a, a year of, you know, poking around on projects, submitting stuff, they probably would be, that'd be more than enough. Do you know what a commit is? Have you made some commits? Have you forked something or, or branched and, and merged? Do you know what a PR is? Other these key things that are going to come up. Know the lingo. Actually know what it means. I don't expect you to be able to do like um, Git revision history surgery. That's not what I'm looking for. But I do expect you to know what no Git, Git bisex. is. No Git bisects. Okay, no. Bisects, not surgery. That's, that's your, I guess you could call that surgery. But I'm talking about surgeries like, um, uh, we forgot and we committed these large binaries to the commit to the repo. And now we need to convert it to the large yeah. file system kind of thing. That's surgery, you know, or I changed my email address. Now I want to update all the commits to reflect the new email address, which by the way, destroys your history. Don't do that. Leave it as is and just put a note in there. Um, anyway, that kind of thing. I would expect my community liaison to understand those things and the ticketing system, mm -hmm. whatever ticketing system you're using, even if it's like a shared notepad, the, the ticketing system 
because I've worked in a company that did that too. There was no ticketing system. We just kind of had this one notepad and heaven help you if someone else was overwriting the notepad at the same time you were because one person's issue was going to get lost. It was terrible. We upgraded it to use uh, Subversion. So that was an improvement because then only one person could check out the, the issues file at a time. It was still terrible. When Subversion is an improvement, it's you know you have yeah, problems. But we stopped losing issues because only one person could edit at a time, you know? But uh, that was, that's, that's kind of like saying, well, we upgraded from a, a bucket to a barrel, but we're still not getting across the ocean in a barrel, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's actually one of the other things now that I think about it that, that Rod does, which is fantastic, is he'll actually go through the GitHub issue history and ooh. like review them and then follow up with people like, hey, ooh. you filed this ticket eight months ago. Are you still having this problem? Has it gone away? Do you have any more information? Like, Rod. I saw that one time and I'm like, hey, Rod, plus, you are buddy. a saint. <laughs> hey, plus, we need more Rods in the world. I don't want that to be misinterpreted. Right? Rod, you're unique. but um, No, Rod's a good guy. Yeah, He's yeah. a good guy. Yeah. We, we, he's a good example to follow. So yeah. if you're looking... I, I'm be like Rod. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to advocate for ways to people, for people to get involved in open source that's not specifically coding. You know, I've, I've harped on documentation before. That's where my heart is. Community liaison, that's another role. Open source needs all kinds of people. It needs people to write, mm -hmm. you know, the code. It needs someone to write the testing. It needs someone to write uh, the documentation. Someone to be willing to listen to what the users are complaining about or suggesting. Sometimes those are one and the same. We need all those things in all these open source projects. And I, I think, honestly, if you don't feel like you can code, but you still have something to contribute, then take a crack at a community liaison. A project that you use a lot. Get involved in it. Get invested in it. Probably join their IRC or Slack channel. If you haven't already, get to know people in the project and start offering to help, I guess. You do not need to be a developer to contribute to an open source project. So yeah. I, I would love for people to really just embrace that. Mm -hmm. And I would love if people would give us their thoughts on this issue. Yes, please. Um, how to give feedback? Well, you can email, you can send us a message directly on the Fireside page. Those links will be in the description. So please. Send us your info. Or send us your info. No, don't send us your info. Please. Let's just, I'm going to cut We'll sign you up for cat facts if you send us our info. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, see, now I want to keep that part in. Well, oh, you're going to have uh, to. So yeah, send us, send us your thoughts. Let us know. And we'll cover it in a future episode. Just like we did with our one episode a couple weeks ago. It was an episode entirely dedicated to feedback that we got. We will do it again. I don't we want think we intended feedback to that. Be but it was really good feedback and it was really interesting topics. And I, as I recall, we didn't even finish talking about all the facets of the questions that have been raised by this interesting listener feedback. So we may be revisiting that in the near future too. There's a lot yep. to unpack there. So that's why, yeah, if you have something interesting to say or you have an opinion, this is the Opinion Dominion. Absolutely. So send it in. Send it in. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>